If you are new, uh, we are in our current sermon series, Divine Selfies. We're actually in part nine of Divine Selfies. And the reason we call this series Divine Selfies is because across the Old Testament, God provides over 80 selfies or portraits of himself meant for us to view. These portraits come in the form of divine names. You see, the Old Testament names for God are selfies that reveal important information so that we can know, understand, communicate with, and be empowered by the character of God revealed through these names. We've studied the name El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. We've studied the name Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. And we studied the name Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. These names provide us with a window into who God is. And they offer us the courage to confidently approach him. They also provide us with comfort in times of trial because by these names, we know that God is in control and that he is always, always with us. And God takes these names very seriously. Even if we as human beings don't take our own names very seriously. For instance, according to court records filed in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, 44-year-old Mr. Gary Matthews petitioned the court to have his name legally changed to Boomer the Dog. In his petition, Mr. Matthews said, and I quote, I've been known as Boomer the Dog by my friends for over 20 years. I'd like to align my legal name with that. Well, Judge Ronald Felino denied Mr. Matthews' request, saying that it would cause too much confusion. In Judge Felino's decision, he said the following, Petitioner witnesses a serious car accident and calls 911. When the dispatcher asks for the caller's name, the caller says, I am Boomer the dog. It wouldn't be a stretch to think that the dispatcher would dismiss the call as a prank. The petitioner's request is denied. According to Judge Felino, he would go on to say, although the petitioner apparently wishes it were otherwise, he is not a dog. Now, I use this ridiculous and outrageous example to demonstrate that the names we are discussing aren't nicknames that we're trying to attribute to God. God's character can be seen in these names. These names don't just refer to things that he does. They are the very essence of who he is. And we should take these names very, very seriously because we should take the Lord very, very seriously. Can I get an Amen. Amen. Well, before we examine one of the Lord's names today, I want you to consider a question. And I promise this question is not complex and it does not require extensive brain power. So fellas, relax. The question is, where does your peace come from? Where does your peace come from? You'll know I didn't say where does peace come from in a generic sense because I want this to be personal to you. So where does your peace come from? come from? And the reason I ask this question is because we as human beings have an innate desire for peace, often associated with happiness, contentment, and fulfillment. However, the journey to finding peace isn't frequently found very often. It's actually influenced by our societal expectations or popular culture or even false assumptions about what we think will actually bring us peace. You see, All too often, we look for peace in all the wrong places. We look for peace in our possessions. We look for peace in our relationships, and we look for peace in our accomplishments. You see, we live in a consumer-driven society that thinks getting things 
like the latest gadget or a nice car or even a bigger house will somehow bring us peace. This pursuit is sincere and pointless because though material possession can provide satisfaction, it's only a temporary satisfaction. You see, when the initial joy of getting something fades, it leads to a perpetual cycle of wanting more and more. And when our possessions, when our possessions don't bring us peace, we look to our relationships. Many of us, myself included, look to relationships to fill a void or somehow bring peace into our lives. Although relationships can bring joy and fulfillment, relying on them exclusively for peace is problematic. I mean, contrary to this guy, old Jerry Maguire, right? No one, and I mean no one, can complete us or bring us true, lasting peace. Expecting them to do so can lead to unhealthy codependency or even disappointment when the relationship inevitably changes or faces challenges. And when people, when people don't bring us the peace we desire, we look to our possessions, our, our personal achievements, I should say. Our personal achievements like career success or recognition or even academic accolades are often viewed as pathways to peace. While these can provide a sense of purpose and pride, they are also external and short-lived. Unfortunately, the satisfaction derived from accomplishments can become addictive, leading to a relentless pursuit of the next achievement without ever finding peace in the present moment, a on-to-the-next-one mentality. You see, we know this. We know that we try to find peace in our material possessions only to find ourselves wanting more and more and more. We know that we search for peace in our relationships only to find ourselves feeling empty and disappointed. And we know that we look for peace in our accomplishments only to find ourselves exhausted and overwhelmed because all too often we look for peace in all the wrong places only to be let down and left feeling unfulfilled. And the sad reality is a life spent looking for peace in all the wrong places is a life wasted. It is a life of never-ending frustration and disappointment. Peace cannot be found in material possessions or temporary moments of pleasure. Peace is found in something deeper, something more meaningful than fleeting moments and fleeting emotions, which begs the question then, where can peace be found? Or better yet, where is the right place to find peace? Well, nowadays, nowadays, there is this common belief that peace is found within oneself. In order to find true peace, it is believed that one must examine oneself deeply. And to this, I would say, you must not know about me. You must not know about me, right? I have traveled the deep waters of my inner self, and there is no peace to be found there. There is, however, a violent storm that rages on the inside of me that stems from doing the things that I don't want to do. When I search for peace within myself, I do not find it. I have found waves of anxiety. I have heard the thunderous sounds of doubt. 
I have been tossed to and fro by the vicious winds of fear, and I have been shipwrecked by anger. So when it comes to finding peace within oneself, listen, it's a hard pass for me. But what about you? How has the journey to finding peace within yourself been going for you? You see, chances are, if peace is there to be found, it's most likely buried under a lifetime of trauma and failed expectations. And hear me, that is not a knock on anyone in this room. That is just a fact of life. So if we can agree, if only for a moment, that peace does not come from temporary pleasures or oneself, can we just agree that that is not the right place to find peace? And if that's the, not the right place to find peace, then where is it? Well, let's look to a very, very powerful name of God found in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 6 to be exact. If you would, would you turn there? If you have a paper Bible, Judges is found in between Joshua and Ruth. If you have a phone, you're cheating, and cheatings, cheaters never prosper. So that's on you. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> As you make your way there, I will say a quick word of prayer, and then we will dive right in. Dear Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts and minds that are open, and faith to believe your words like never before. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray, amen. Just a little context up front. You see, the story of the Israelites in Judges chapter 6 is dramatic and tumultuous to say best. It's marked by oppression, divine intervention, and then eventually the rise of a new leader. The chapter starts with the Israelites being severely oppressed by the Midianites. The Midianites, along with the Amalekites and other eastern peoples, invade the land. They invade the land that God had promised to the Israelites. And they begin destroying crops and livestock, leaving the Israelites famished and in need. You see, evidently, you can arrive at the place that the Lord has for you and still have problems. In their distress, the Israelites cry out for the Lord. This cry is a response to their intense suffering. And God, God being God, sends a prophet to remind the Israelites about their unfaithfulness and how he delivered them from Egypt. In essence, God says, this is who you are and what you've done, and this is who I am and what I've done. It's like a balance sheet where each party adds up their contributions to the situation and is left with the bottom line. You see, the bottom line here is that the Israelites are in this situation because of their own disobedience. And this was common for Israel. In fact, the book of Judges is a cyclical book, meaning we see a pattern repeat itself over and over and over again. We see sin, followed by punishment, which leads to repentance, and then eventually deliverance, and then the cycle repeats. Sin, punishment, repentance, deliverance, repeat. Sin. We want the responsibility of being our own God. Punishment. Well, here are their consequences for wanting to be your own God. Repentance. Mm, I don't think we want to be our own God anymore. Deliverance. We are finally ready to follow the one true God. Repeat. Has God ever done anything for us? I can't, I can't seem to remember. You see, Israel had this weird knack for forgetting how the Lord had delivered them and then subsequently falling right back into the very things that the Lord had delivered them from. 
Israel was in essence like every child ever born. I mean, there is no creature on this side of eternity that is more forgetful than a child. And I know the memory span of a goldfish, and I stand by my statement. (laughs) Case in point, case in point. Here is a common conversation with a child. Parent, so you mean to tell me that you want to go outside with no shoes on? Child, yep. Parent, okay, okay. But don't you remember what happened the last time you went outside with no shoes on? Child, nope. Okay, parent, uh, let me remind you. You went outside with no shoes on. You got a sliver in your foot. Then you came back in the house crying as though your foot had been amputated. It took us 76 Paw Patrol Band-Aids to apparently stop the bleeding. And then you told me you would never, ever go outside without any shoes on ever again. Does that ring a bell, child? Mm-mm. Parents. <sighs> Have fun outside. Right? We can laugh at this because it's true. But this is exactly how Israel acted. You see, in Judges chapter 6, the Israelites reflect our flawed and human nature. Forgetful, easily swayed by sin, and yet able to turn back and seek redemption. But in order for redemption to come, there has to be a deliverer first. So we pick up in verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Okay, hold on. Mighty hero? Okay, pop quiz, pop quiz, pop quiz. Where do you thresh wheat? Don't worry, don't worry. Correct answer, not in a wine press. You do not thresh wheat in a wine press. You press grapes in a wine press to get wine. Why is Gideon in a wine press? Because he's hiding from the Midianites. Listen, Gideon is the furthest thing from a mighty hero. But isn't that just like God? To see beyond what we see? Has anyone ever saw anything in you before you did? Maybe it was a teacher, a mentor, a spouse, a friend who saw an ability, a talent within you before you did. And then they showed it to you. When this happens, you are empowered to live out their expectations for you. When someone believes in you, you rise to a higher level. And the same could be said of Gideon, just not in this moment. Just not in this moment. Because Gideon has the audacity to reply with, Sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now, the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Have you ever had questions like this? Have you ever felt this way? about the Lord. You see, though Gideon was hiding in a wine press, scared and shaking, he at least had the self-awareness to be honest. Gideon wants to know if God is for him, then where is he? If God is going to be his God, then why can't he find him? If he still does miracles, then why is there such a mess? Have you ever had questions like this? And in the midst of doubt, confusion, and questions, 
we can clearly see Gideon's need for God. But God also had a need for Gideon. You see, God was planning on delivering the Israelites once again. And God could have used anyone or even defeated the the Midianites without using anyone at all. Yet, God chose the mighty hero who had been hiding in the wine press. And though Gideon, though Gideon would have all sorts of excuses as to why he was not a good fit for the job, I'm from the least tribe and I'm the youngest in my family. Listen, ain't nothing wrong with being the baby of the family. I'm the baby of my family. I turned out just fine. I don't care what my sister got to say. Listen, (laughs) but despite being from the least tribe and the youngest, listen, God still chose him. God still chose him. And when Gideon finally accepted that God didn't make a mistake by choosing him, we see the first glimpse of Jehovah Shalom. Verse 24. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom or Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. Now, don't miss this. Gideon hadn't fought the Midianites yet. He hadn't solved the problem of the enemy yet. And despite the fact that the Midianites were still an issue, Gideon made an altar to worship the Lord in the spiritual realm before dealing with the problem in the physical realm. And on that altar, he praised Jehovah Shalom, not because his circumstances had changed, but because Jehovah Shalom had showed up in the midst of his circumstances. You see, with God, you can experience peace in any and all situations without him. You can spend whatever you want. Go wherever you want, do whatever you want, and you still won't have peace. The best you can hope for is a diversion or distraction from life's anxieties. If you want true peace, if you want to know true peace in, the, in despite life's circumstances, it is found in none other than Jehovah Shalom. In the presence of Jehovah Shalom, all odds and expectations have to change. In the presence of Jehovah Shalom, everything depends on him and not limited by our own abilities. You see, just as Gideon met Jehovah Shalom in the midst of personal, family, and national conflict, you can meet Jehovah Shalom in the middle of your personal struggles. Gideon discovered true peace by realizing that the Lord was with him. Then the Lord said to him, I will be with you. If these five words don't bring you peace, my friends, nothing will. I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon felt a sense of relief when the Lord assured him that with his help, he would defeat the Midianites. Gideon was filled with peace, knowing that the Lord was with him. When Gideon's eyes were finally opened to the Lord's presence, he saw Jehovah Shalom. He saw that the Lord was peace. And in seeing Jehovah Shalom, he couldn't help but worship. He couldn't help but build an altar. So I have another question for you. Where have you built your altar? Where have you built your altar? 
Have you built your altar on the purchase of something new? Have you built your altar on the promises of another flawed human being? Or have you built your altar on the reassurance that the Lord is with you, that Jehovah Shalom is with you? Because can I submit something to you? Wherever you build your altar, your peace will try to follow. Wherever you build your altar, your peace will try to follow. If you built your altar on temporary things, your peace will only be temporary. If you build your altar on your own abilities, when you fail yourself, as you often do, your peace will fail. But when you build on Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Shalom reigns now and forevermore, so relationships may falter, jobs may cease, health may decline, but Jehovah Shalom reigns now and forevermore. So in all circumstances, trials and hardships, build your altar on Jehovah Shalom. Listen, he is not just a source of peace. He is peace itself. He is the embodiment of peace. And here is an easy and practical way of building your altar on Jehovah Shalom. When you feel a lack of peace, simply ask this question out loud. Lord, are you here right now? Now I get this may be a little too charismatic for some of you. Disclaimer up front, my goal is not to make you more charismatic. My goal is to make you more aware of Jehovah Shalom. You see, a fundamental truth lies in this statement. Peace is not found in places devoid of the Lord's presence. Peace is not found in places devoid of the Lord's presence. Places or situations where the Lord's presence is denied or ignored do not yield true peace. This is true not only of physical locations, but also of situations or even states of mind that are not aligned with spiritual truths. Peace comes by way of the Lord's presence, or said another way, peace shows up when he shows up. Some of you know this and some of you don't, so I'm going to say it anyways. I grew up in Long Beach, California. Now, I get it, I get it. With my eloquent speech, it may think that I grew up in the suburbs of Beverly Hills, but I didn't. I grew up in Long Beach, California. I actually grew up in the hood, to be exact. And on my block, I lived on one end, and the majority of my friends lived on the other end of that block. But in the middle, in the middle of that same block, lived all of the gang members. So in order to go play with my friends and vice versa, we would have to cross paths with these gang members. And they were ruthless. They would pick on us, call us names, try to fight us. And then one day, I don't know what came upon me. I just must have been sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I said to them, if you don't leave us alone, I'm going to go get my uncle. <laughs> Funny, they laughed just like that. <laughs> and they said, in PG terms, we don't care about you or your uncle. Go get him and we'll beat him up too. And so I went home because I, my uncle just happened to be staying with us that time in the guest bedroom. And as I'm walking home, I'm thinking about, oh, who I'm going to go get, because they don't know who I'm going to get. And so my uncle's name is Daryl. But everybody that knew Daryl didn't call him Daryl. They called him Big D. 
And the reason they called him Big D is not because he was tall in stature. They called him Big D because his arms, I kid you not, his arms were literally that big. And his chest, his chest came out about this far. And he had this very distinctive walk because he would walk like this. <laughs> kid you not, that's literally how he walked. So I know, hey, I know who I'm going to get. So I get home, go through the uh, guest bedroom, and he's laying down on the bed sleep. And I say, hey, Big D. And he goes, and I say, um, there's these guys messing with me. And he goes, almost has to say, like, what does that have to do with me? And then I knew the magic words. I said, well, I told them that I was going to come get you. And they said, they don't care if I come get you because they'll beat you up too. And his eyes opened about that big. He hops up out of the bed, darts out of the door, and he's walking down the street like he does. And these gang members see him. They see Big D coming, and they went from these tough guys to like dogs with their tails tucked between their legs. Like you can literally see the fear fall upon them, and Big D obviously threatens them with words that I can't use in this context, Um, and it's interesting because as I saw these tough guys break down, there's something that happened to me. There was like this confidence that started to build up in me, and then all of a sudden, there was this peace that fell upon me. This peace fell upon me not because my circumstance had changed. The gang members were still there. This peace fell upon me because Big D had now entered into my situation. Listen, Big D is but one man. But this one man is nothing compared to Jehovah Shalom. When you can call on the one who levels mountains, they no longer seem high and lofty. When you can call on the one who calms storms, They don't seem so devastating and terrifying. When you can call on the one who has overcome death and the grave, it no longer has the last laugh or the final say. I called on Big D, but I'm telling you today, you can call on Jehovah Shalom. Because the Lord is peace. So when we ask the question, Lord, are you here right now? We are making ourselves more aware of his presence, which is making us more aware of his peace. But in the event, in the event that you ask this question, Lord, are you here right now? And you are well aware of the Lord's absence in your situation. Here are three, three possible responses to this dilemma. Number one, Invite him in. If you can feel and sense the Lord's absence in your situation, then invite him in. This response reflects a proactive approach to seeking the Lord's presence. It involves recognizing the absence of the divine and seeking God's presence through prayer, through worship, through the word, and even through community. The idea is to actively Invite the Lord into all aspects of our lives by opening our hearts and our environments to him. It's like a door. It's opened and the Lord is invited in to dwell like a welcomed guest. In this way, we invite the Lord to be the Lord of our lives and make him an active participant in our journey. By inviting Jehovah Shalom in, we invite peace The second 
The second thing to do if you feel an absence of the Lord in your situation is to remove ourselves. You see, removing ourselves from a situation or place where God's presence feels absent indicates a desire to maintain our spiritual integrity. In other words, it is an act of spiritual preservation, making sure we avoid external influences that might hinder us from following the Lord. This might involve making significant life changes such as ending toxic relationships, changing jobs, or even altering lifestyle choices that are not congruent with our spiritual values. It's like a gardener plucking weeds from their garden in order to maintain healthy crop. The weeds may be beautiful, but if left unchecked, they will choke out the good plants. So they must be pulled out in order to maintain healthy growth. Ultimately, we must do whatever is necessary to maintain our spiritual health and ensure our spiritual growth. Listen, if Jehovah Shalom is not there that is a good indicator that we should not be there either. And lastly, we can choose when we feel the Lord's absence in our situation to go on without him. Yeah, you heard me right. We can choose to go on without him. Choosing this option indicates a self-reliance that fails to acknowledge the Lord's presence. This is an option even if it's not a very good option. This path often leads to secularism or atheism, where values and ethics are more important than spiritual or religious principles. This is like a ship sailing without a compass, never knowing where it's going to end up, even though it's a viable option. It will ultimately lead away from its true destination if Jehovah Shalom does not go with us we will never arrive at a place of true peace. C.S. Lewis said it best. Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Peace. Peace of mind, body, and soul come from none other than Jehovah Shalom. If we find ourselves in the unfortunate position of not experiencing the Lord's peace, then we can invite him in, remove ourselves, or go on without him. But what we cannot do is pretend as though his peace is not available to us. And here's what I mean by that. One of the Lord's many attributes is omnipresence. The Lord's omnipresence is a theological concept that refers to the divine nature of being present everywhere at the same time. This omnipresence is not limited by space or time. It suggests an infinite, infinite and pervasive presence that permeates all aspects of life. This attribute of the Lord means that he is always near to everything and every one. Therefore, if we believe in Jehovah Shalom, if we call on the name of Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace, then peace is present everywhere at the same time. 
Peace is not limited by space or time. It is infinite, pervasive, and permeates all aspects of the universe. This means that peace is always near to everything and everyone. And maybe, just maybe, the problem isn't you don't have enough faith to believe it. Maybe, just maybe, the problem isn't you haven't prayed enough for peace. Maybe the problem is simply you have not been made aware of how readily available the Lord's peace is to you. And maybe, just maybe, it's as simple as asking the question, Lord, are you here right now? Lord, are you here right now? Because if you're not, then I invite you in. I invite you into my circumstances. I invite you into my situation. I invite you in to my problem and I remove myself. I remove my agenda. I remove my expectations. I even remove my assumptions because I refuse to go on without you. For you are Jehovah Shalom. You are the altar upon which my peace resides. So I invite you in. And I remove myself because I do not want to go on without you.